I hope you've come in this place this morning. And if you need a comeback in your life, that today's going to be a day that you'll leave change. That today will be a day where you leave stirred. Now, when it comes to this time of year, every year, it's a season of comeback, isn't it? Think about it. How many's got some brown, nasty grass in the front of your yard? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's coming back, right? You got trees and the leaves are starting to come back, right? You've got allergies. And they're coming Coming, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you are used to hearing my voice, I don't normally sound like this. Oh, yeah. But Amy is really enjoying me sounding, sounding like this. So, right, baby? All right, so here's the problem. I did not realize. I thought that if you start to have allergy symptoms a week and a half ago, you got to nip that in the bud because you're going to be preaching on four services a week and a half later. So I double up on Zyrtec. I double up on Benadryl. I throw some Allegra up in there. Well, who knew? I didn't. Here's what will happen to your body. It'll take every bit of moisture that's supposed to be on your lungs you're supposed to have moisture on your lungs. It'll take every bit of moisture. It's supposed to be on your vocal cords. And it will take it out of your body. Okay? And so long story short, week, week ago or so, I started realizing something's wrong. And the doctor, everybody's explained to me what I've done. I have messed myself up. And so with that, you'll have to just put up with me today. All right? Now, when it comes to the idea of Easter morning. I do. I think of it as a comeback. But I don't think of Easter as a comeback just when it comes to the idea of Easter that we experience since Christ's death, okay? Listen, Easter was a celebration that the Jewish people have been experiencing for a long time, since 1446 B.C., a long time. It was called, everybody say this, say Passover, now, you got to understand something. The Old Testament has the New Testament concealed, whereas the New Testament, it reveals the Old Testament stuff. Say stuff. All right? So the way that works, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that we see that points to Jesus. And Passover is an experience much the same. But here's the thing about this. For over 400 years, these Israelites were in bondage. They were in slavery. For over 400 years, they faced opposition. For over 400 years, they worked day in and day out, and they felt like they weren't accomplishing one thing for themselves. Have you ever worked a job like that before? Man, money comes in, money goes out. I'm telling you, definitely goes out. We all have been there before. And here's the underlying problem that I have when I hear this story. Because this is a special group of people. This is a group of people that God would look at and say, I will be your God. This is a group of people that God would look at and he would intimately talk to them. He wouldn't even just call them, yeah, you have a nickname for folk, you know what I mean? It's not just Abram. He's like, you be my Abraham. You know, that's like Abram with stuff on it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's cool. It's like that God, God was tight with these people. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and now these people end up in Egypt and 400 years of bondage. And so if you're like me, you know, a little skeptical, skeptical, a little bit kind of, um, what in the world, God? I don't get this. Here's what my thought, this is where I go. There's an underlying problem with this, and it nags at my heart, because these are God's chosen people. 
God, if that's how you do your own, I don't want to be a part of anything. Forget it. Come on, somebody. Now, is that just me? I mean, is there some other folk that ever feel like that in here? Good. Because I, I hope that's not just me. But there's times in my Christian walk that I'm like, God, I don't get it. I'm a Christ follower. I'm supposed to have it better than this. And I bet you for 400 years, making brick, making brick, making buildings, making this for the Egyptians. And I'm sure the Jews are saying, hey, we're mishpuka, we're family here, God. And this is how you treat me, you know. So there's that underlying problem. And here's the thing about it. It, it goes a little deeper. It goes into this. It just doesn't seem fair. To even have to need an overcoming experience. It just doesn't seem, say fair, it doesn't seem fair. Wait a second, why do good, bad things happen to good people, right? How many said that question before? This all plays into a great Easter sermon. Trust me, we're getting there, okay? I hope. <laughs> Hopefully my voice will get there too. So why do bad things happen to good people? And you've heard me, if you've been around here for six months, a year, I'll say this once or twice a year probably. Here's the thing, it's not that bad things happen to good people. You know why? Because none of us are good. Elbow your bad wife and tell her that. None of us. That's why we got fits, Amy. That's why we fuss. Because you bad, girl. None of, us, none of us are good. Bible says that our hearts are desperately evil. That we're wicked in our hearts. God gave us absolutely everything we could ever have needed. And then gave us the dominion and the power to keep it. That's what he gave to Adam. And Adam chose to rebel and push away from the things of God. And sacrificed all that God intended. And so what we start to see is a Passover story. Watch this. It goes all the way back to Adam. Because with that, Adam realized he was naked. Or some of you in this room will say naked, Right? You know what the difference between naked and naked is, right? Naked, you have no clothes. Naked, no clothes, and you're up to something, right? That has no place on an Easter Sunday morning, Ross Wiseman. No place. I am not coming back to that place. No. So here's the thing about that. Naked, they realize their shame. And God takes an animal and kills it. I don't care if you're a vegetarian or not. You can't get an animal skin without killing an animal. You can't kill an animal without there be shedding of blood. And so this picture starts where God knew man. He created us with a free will to choose him or not choose him. He knew so that love would be real toward him. But we chose against, and with that had to be a sacrifice. And so this animal is slain, the first sacrifice, and the blood covered in the sense their sins. Now they're not naked anymore. Now they can go on, and God continues to have a relationship with them. And now years go by, and because of their sin again, they're back in bondage. Now here's the thing about it. If it would not have been Adam sinning, I guarantee it would have been Maduka. You know? It would have been someone in this room would have made that first sin, right? Right? Then you, I know, I don't know. Been, yeah, one of us. But this nation turned their back on God, and through the process, they end up in a 400-year time period of bondage, of slavery. And is that fair? I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying that's where they ended up. <clears throat> and now we see a picture where God starts to intersect with them in such a way that he's going to set them free. Now, what would not have been fair is this. You ready for this? What would have not been fair is if God wouldn't have entered into the fight. That would not have been fair. 
But from the dawn of time, God has entered into the fight. We see him delivering Adam. We see him delivering the nation of Israel from the Egyptians. And finally for us, we see our deliverance that comes when Jesus, not even God by the Spirit, but literally God in flesh shows up. Why? Because he's going to kick some. He's going to take care of it for us. He's going to fight for us. And so, no, it doesn't seem fair. But you know what? God enters into our fight. And through the person of Jesus, he comes and he brings that salvation. Amen? And even today, I mean, at times you go through stuff, it doesn't seem fair. But God, every time, will enter into our fight. Now, I want us to stand to our feet like we do here at Momentum. I want us to read this passage of Scripture in Exodus because it's a picture of that first Passover, all right? It's a picture of the deliverance that took place and what God desires, you know, because every story needs a good comeback. Amen? And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. He, he's going from God Almighty, and he's making a very personal Adonai, a very beautiful, call me Lord. Call, there's this beautiful relationship between him and his people. It's not just God over, it's God with, you know? That's cool right there. That's what Jesus is. His, his presence, he's with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. God's always had that desire to be with. When sin separated Adam and Eve and they were undone and they felt naked, what did they say? They were hiding themselves from God. God could have no part of that. No, he made a sacrifice. Why? God always wants to be with you. Always with you. Even in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, wants to be with you. And so we see here this idea of Adonai. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac. He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. There's always been a promise. You have not yet, you've not ceased to be my chosen people. You may be going through something today. You have not ceased to be God's chosen. You're still his chosen. Wherever I've heard their groaning, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Father God, right now as we come to this day, we just ask that you'd visit our hearts, that you allow us to leave this place, no matter what we may be facing, what doubts, fears, what perceptions we may have, whatever it might be that's keeping us from God's best, that Lord, we would leave this place knowing with confidence that you've done every single thing necessary for our comeback. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So this Passover takes place, 1446 B.C., and from that day forth, every year, the Jewish people celebrate this Passover through a meal called a Seder. Uh, about 80, 90 of y'all were with us on Wednesday, a week and a half ago, for the Seder meal that we did here. And so this Seder thing has been going on, this meal of, of remembrance has been going on every year since then. 
And there's an order of the service. It's called the Haggadah. Say Haggadah. All right. And so the order, of the, and then they'll go for like four hours. Thank God ours is about an hour and 45 minutes, two hours. That's a lot of Haggadah. You know what I'm saying? And so they have this order of service, and in the midst of it, you do different things, and there's different questions you ask and are answered, and there's different items on the table that represent things. And so during the time, there's a question that is proposed by the person that is leading the Haggadah, and they say this, why do we eat only bitter herbs, and why do we dip them? And if you've been there before, how many's done it before, Seder? Raise your hand. Or maybe you're Jewish and you've had a Jewish meal before at Passover time. They'll take parsley or some sort of a bitter herb. They'll take parsley and then they have a little thing of water that has tons of salt in it. So much salt, salt your head will go inside itself. It's, it's really bad. Okay? And you dip the parsley into that water. That water, that salty water symbolizes the tears that they had. Their sorrow. The tears that the Israelites had. And they'll dip that parsley, the bitter herbs, and they'll partake of that, okay? And the question is answered, and it's answered in Hebrew. I'll do it in English because I don't know Hebrew. And it's this. Tonight we eat only bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of slavery and bondage that the Jewish people endured at the hands of Pharaoh. Tonight as we eat this, we remember those bitter seasons. And today as I teach, maybe some of you right now are going through a bitter season. You know, maybe you've come past it. Praise God if you have. But here's the thing. We all at times feel bitter, at times burdened, at times broken, right? We all go through stuff. Maybe some of you in this room haunted by the death of a loved one this year that passed way too soon. Maybe others in this room, you're handicapped by disease. There's a sickness in your body you just can't get through, just can't get victory. Maybe others in this room, it is the burden and the challenge that you have because your children face challenges. And as they face challenges, it's hard on your heart, right? Others in the room, it's the burden and the challenge that those children are. Right? That's why God allows them to get to 18 and get out, you know. It's so funny, that idea of burden and challenge. Amy and I, we have five, and, and I remember when Maverick was about two. And here's the thing, we had this nine-year stretch. The next youngest was nine when Mac was born. And we had this nine-year stretch. It was like the millennium. Like those last few years, it was beautiful. I mean, like the lion was laying down with the lamb, you know. It was beautiful. It was awesome. This is probably why the baby came. But still, <laughs> so Mac comes into our world. Little Maverick, he's two years old. Amy and I, the challenges of that. We start to fight again like we did when we were young, you know, and, and we're, we're just frustrated. I mean, it was just really tough. And one day I tell her, it's not us. Baby, this isn't us. It's him. <laughs> he is evil. And poor little Mac, two years old, he just, and it's a facade. Because darkness was inside of him. And it just, am I right? And we had fights, and we had pressure, and we had bitterness, and we had, we had stuff that we hadn't dealt with in years in our marriage, you know. Every pillow in the house had mascara stains again, you know. And that was just for me crying. I mean, it was, it, was, it was rough, wasn't it? 
And now we're ready because now that next one comes. We're done with babies now, by the way. But then that next, that next one comes. When you're 43, you should stop having children, you know. So, um, but the next baby comes, and we're ready for it. We know this is just part of life. Guys, life at times is hard. We suffer. We struggle. There's bitterness. But in the midst of that, God is doing something. Amy, we will overcome. We will have a comeback, you know. Amen. It's going to happen. Say again. That's the truth. I have kids in my house till I'm 62. <coughs> I'm old, you laugh. So, <laughs> shut up. All right. So, <laughs> but every good story needs a comeback, you know. I, I just think the scriptures show that. There's just a whole book full of wonderful comebacks. There's something powerful and beautiful about that. And your story needs to come back. Your story isn't over, you know. Whatever you're going through right now, everyone needs a story of hope. That's what we say around here all the time. And that story of hope comes because of Jesus. Now watch. There's one more thing that they'll eat at the Passover meal that's so neat. It's horseradish and haroset. Say haroset. Have you had this stuff before? All right. The horseradish is worse than the bitter herbs. They're horrible. And if you have them, Murray Tillis do your Seder meal. He's a sadist. He's, he's a sadist Jew is what he is. I love him. I'm teasing. And so here's what he does. He comes, he sees our horseradish. Ah, that's not bad enough. And he sends Amy back to the store to buy the worst horseradish that you can find, you know, as far as bite. And so you take a matzah cracker and you put horseradish, about a half a tablespoon on the matzah. And then you do something that's really neat. Okay, you, you take something, this horset, it's, it's walnuts and honey, and it's, it's apples, and it's wine, unless you're Pentecostal, and then it's juice. <laughs> all right, but you put all that together, you put all that together, and it's sweet, and you put that on top. Now, here's the thing that's so weird. That horset, it is actually a symbol of the mortar that they would use to make the bricks in Egypt for those 400 years. That's the symbol. That they, that's what it stands for. But wait a second. That sounds like a bad thing. It, it is. It is a bad thing. But listen, they'll say this. The bitterness of labor should be sweetened by the promise of redemption. Do you see the suffering? Yet the comeback? The pain, but in the midst of the pain, the victory... It's the same way when it comes to Jesus in our life. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. The wounding is the suffering. That is the pain for our transgressions. So that our transgressions are delivered and forgiven. That is the comeback. That's the victory. He was bruised for our iniquities. There's the pain. But, but on the other side, my shortcomings are taken care of. There's the victory. There's the comeback. Bruised for iniquity. Chastisement. So that we could have peace. It was upon him. My peace. I can overcome. I can have my comeback. And then it says this. And by his stripes we are healed. Pain and victory. Commingled. Isn't the story of life anyhow? That the bitterness of labor would be sweetened by the promise of redemption. So that's the Passover. 1446 B.C. And now we come up to when Jesus has died, 
This is the writer of Hebrews. He's writing about that. and He kind of brings us all into play here. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, you're going to go through some stuff. But as you go through it, run. You're not alone. There's a cloud of witnesses watching. There's others here that are here to support you're not alone. But even more so, we have a model. We have somebody that has went before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him. There's the comeback, okay? He endured the cross. There's the suffering. Despising the shame. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. There's the comeback again. And so we see Jesus coming back. That strength. But on the other side, we see the pain. Why? Why did he do all that? It says, for the joy that is set before him. He endured all this. Do you know who the joy is that is set before him? Come on, the guys. Tap yourself right here. You're the joy that is set before him. Period. Case closed. End of story. He could see down through the annals of time, and he knew you'd be here today, and he knew you would need encouragement. He knew if you're not saved, you would need salvation. He knew the story of your life before you even knew your life would begin. And he, the joy set before him is your redemption, your salvation, your comeback, your turnaround. Can you give God praise? Amen? Amen. So if I had a title today's talk, I would title it, The Cross and the Comeback. The Cross and the Comeback. When I say that, you may say, Ross, I get it that Jesus can turn things around for himself. I get that God Almighty, you know, nothing's going to keep him down. I get it. Three days later, he arises from the grave. I get it, you know. How can I relate to Jesus? I mean, he's God, and I'm not. Amen. It's so funny, I, I talked to one of our executive advisory team members about this series, and I said, man, I, I want to do a series called The Comeback, which isn't an original title by no means. Um, Louis Giglio just wrote a book recently called The Comeback. I want to read it sometime, but, but, but I love that theme, The Comeback. And I'm telling them, we're going to start with Jesus and the cross and the comeback on Easter Sunday, and then we'll go on to some other people's lives over the next few weeks and look at principles we can learn. He went, whoa, wait a second, you're going to start with Jesus, the cross, and that's going to be the comeback. And I'm like, ah, that's a good place to start on Easter Sunday. And it was so funny. I'm telling him about this. And he goes, I think it's a horrible example of a comeback. What? I said, Jesus and his victory. A horrible example of a comeback. I'm waiting for lightning to strike your face. You know? And the thing about it is, here's the thing about it. Um, I'm, I don't want to say who he is, you know, Jason. I don't, I don't. <laughs> but, it, but he got my goat when he said it. I'm just like, are you kidding me, Jason? I could not believe it. And so he was saying, no, 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 listen. Jesus, he was 100% man. But he was 100% God. We're not. And there's people in this room. He goes, there's people in our church that have suffered a sickness for 20 years. Jesus dies, and three days later, he rises. And I'm thinking, you sacrilegious sucker, you know. <laughs> Jesus was crucified, man. I know, but it was three days, and he rose again. Now, you can take that up with him, okay? But it got me thinking, and I thought, you know what? I get that, you know? I get that. 
But the truth of the matter is this whole experience at the time of the cross, his followers went through a whole lot of stuff that we can learn from. They weren't divine, right? All right, so. <laughs> and these early followers of Christ, they had to experience a comeback of faith. They did. Much like the Israelites, they came to realize that God had not forgotten them. But in that moment, those few days, they felt like God had forgotten them. God had left them. Now they came, God helped them to see, and we're going to see how we can be helped to see. But man, in the moment, their stuff had got to them, you know. And the thing with it is, it's true. At times, our stuff, our mess, we begin to deal with. But he is so sweet. God is so sweet that he will allow us to go through some things and he has planned our comeback all along if we just won't lose sight of him. So just like the Israelites, here's the first thing you got to understand, all right? The first thing you understand, just like the Israelites, you can't stop what God has started. God had a plan for that nation. He still has a plan for them today. God has a plan for you. You can't stop what God has started. Let's start with the cross. It's Easter Sunday morning, even if Jason thinks it's not a good example. I can't wait to see his face and tease him. But with that, let's start with the cross, all right? And so before the cross, we've got to deal with the, the steps of the cross, the things that led up to that point. And so you see Jesus being brought amongst the leaders of that time, and he literally has put upon him a mock robe, O king of the Jews. And they begin to beat him with a stick as he's blindfolded, asking him, who has hit you? Who has struck you? And they begin to beat on him. Next thing you know, they begin to pull the facial hair off of him, his beard. They begin to hurt him. They take a crown of thorns and they push it down upon his skull. The epitome of suffering, the epitome of pain. They push it down upon his skull. Finally, they put him on a post and they begin to tear chunks from his body. It's not just a bullwhip. It's not just a single piece of leather. It's nine pieces of leather. Intertwined in it is nails, metal, glass, and the man has been instructed and trained to be able to be efficient with it. That with every strike, he could snap it just right to pull the maximum amount of sinew, blood, flesh, and pull it from his back. This is what's going on with Jesus. And then finally, they put him on a cross, piercing his ankles with a spike and his two arms with a spike. And they put him on a cross. Now, they lift the cross. They drop the cross in. When he drops... The breathing begins to be difficult and strained. The death of the crucifixion wasn't so much of one where you bled to death. It was one of suffocation. A man that was being crucified would have to lift himself up to allow his diaphragm to come and be able to fully extend so his lungs could extend so he could get oxygen. And then he would be able to drop back down. And there comes a point in the crucifixion process that a person just can't, they just can't lift themselves anymore. It's, it's, it's over. And so this is the process we're seeing Jesus. And in John 19.30, it says this, when Jesus had received the sour wine, they put vinegar in his face when he asked for a drink. He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is all that the disciples saw. This is all that the disciples knew. It is finished. Wait a second. How can it be finished? This man is God. And he says, it is finished finished. But here, remember this. You can't stop what God has started. 
God has been doing things in your family. God has been doing things in your life that point back to a God. And with it, you can't stop what God has started. There's the cross and the comeback. And so with that, we can see Jesus even. We know three days later he arises. We know that. But with it, those who follow Jesus, they didn't know that. So all they knew was this. They knew this is a man who healed the sick. This is a man who cast out demons. This is a man who fed thousands on a hillside. This is a man who walked on the water. This is a man who accepted them when every other rabbi rejected them. This is that man, Jesus. And now that man is saying, it is finished. Their bitterness, their frustration, their burden, their struggle, their hearts are full with angst. And in John 20, 1 through 2, we see Mary Magdalene who comes to the garden tomb. And it says, on the first day of the week, Mary came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. In other words, we've lost God. It's a bad thing when you lose God, right? You've lost keys before, but losing Jesus is a whole other thing. What in the world? We had our confidence in this one. We had our hopes in this one. Our hearts believed in this one. And now he's gone. And our hearts just disturbed. And the same way with you. You had your hopes in this God. You had your belief in this God. You had your desires and passions in this God. And now I am going through this? Yeah. 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 But it's not over. Shout, it's not over. Because you can't stop what God has started. It's kind of like the bell of a boxing match. Ding, ding. And it has started. And the man's getting pummeled. And he makes it to the next Almost said inning. The next round, you know, gets back in the corner. I got the perfect voice for this today. He gets back in the corner, and old Mickey is saying to Rock, Rocky, you got this, man. You got it. Get back out there. You can do this. Ah. You know? Rock's out there fighting again and facing the hardships, and it looks like it's over. Creed has won. Mm, I don't think so. And Mickey's just screaming his face off, you know? Love it. You can't say this. Say you can't stop. What God has started. I don't know what God has started in your life, but you can't stop it. But the enemy would love to try to get you off focus. And so let's look at this, all right? Because these people that were his followers faced some stuff. And so number two, when all seems lost, listen to the voice of Jesus. All right? Watch this. In John 20, verse 11, Mary, she was listening to the voice of her perception. She had perceived somebody had taken Jesus. She had perceived that he couldn't have raised from the dead. She had perceived that nothing's going to be the same. And so it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Christ had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. This is a woman who is so burdened by her emotions in the moment, so burdened by her own perceptions, she can't see angelic beings for what they are, the supernatural. There's times we go through things in life that we get so down, we can't even see that God is up to something. And the voice of our perception, how we perceive things, robs us from seeing the supernatural, robs us from seeing the spiritual. And we look to everything else but 
And we get robbed from hearing the voice of the supernatural, hearing what God is doing in that moment, right? And so here she's blinded by her own perceptions. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Well, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Don't you love it when God asks you questions that he already has the answer to? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now watch this. Her perception, she is looking for her teacher. She's looking for the Jesus she has always known. That's who she's looking for. And it says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Her eyes are open. She understands. She, she realizes this has been my teacher all along. I believe that she went in there looking for the Jesus she always knew. She went in there looking for the Jesus that she understood. She went in there looking for the Jesus that she had walked with. But Jesus has been glorified. He has been changed in a sense in that moment. And she doesn't recognize him. And listen, God wants to do something in your life. Some people will miss it because they are looking for the Jesus that they perceive. You'll miss it altogether. What does that mean, Ross? Well, some people in this room, you're listening and looking for and, and trying to perceive the judgmental Jesus. That's the Jesus that hates everybody. You know? Well, I know God says that, I know people say, well, Jesus loves, but when it comes down to it, man, I don't want to be in church. Then the people, they just are judgmental. You know, if you, if you go and you try to serve God, he just takes all the fun away. You know, that's judgmental Jesus. Dude, Jesus is awesome. Walking after him is a powerful, beautiful, wonderful thing. Don't have a perception of judgmental Jesus. Not when he's there saying, John, Mary, Bob, Sue, Ted. Not when he's there calling out your name saying, come on, just, just, just walk toward me. So on set. So that's judgmental Jesus. Another thing is just another Jesus. What does that mean, Ross? The perception of just another. Say just another. Yeah, he's another way. He's another truth. He's another example of what we can follow in our pursuit to spiritual things. And there's a hundred other things we can do, but that works for you, but that doesn't work for me. And we, we, we perceive him as just another. And we miss him calling to us, saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we miss him being the one in our lives that has not only overcome, but can help us have a comeback. Amen? And so when all seems lost... Like I said, listen to the voice of Jesus. You'll never have a comeback if you let your perceptions just completely rule your thoughts. Listen to the voice of Jesus. And then the disciples, the next group is in the disciples, John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, this is that night, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus shows up. That's a good place to start. Peace be with you, right? He comes into the room that way. I need peace. I'm going to freak out. But here's the thing about that. For fear of the Jews, they're locked away. And so we can see here the disciples were listening to the voice of their fears. You know, God has already made a comeback. Jesus is already raised from the dead. And with it, he's about to show them all that they can have. For 40 days, he's about to teach them all the things of the kingdom and then empower them with the Holy Spirit. But right here, they're just so afraid. You'll never have a comeback if you let your fear govern 
when all seems lost, listen to the voice of Jesus. And then the final one, who wasn't there on this day, his name was Thomas. You've heard of Thomas before. Think about that. Oh, my goodness. Jesus walks through the wall. Peace be still. Everybody gets to experience the resurrected Jesus, and you're home mowing the lawn. I don't know what Thomas was doing, but it stinks to be Thomas. You know what I mean? It's like, are you guys kidding me? And I love this. You're going to see here in a second. It's eight more days before he gets to see Jesus. Those would be eight miserable days. I could have seen him, you know, and he's full of doubt, you know, and he's saying to people, if I can put my hands in his piercings and my hand in his side, then I'll believe him. And so this eight-day process, so it goes on, verse 26, Thomas was listening to the voice of his doubts, and eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Everybody say this, say inside again. There's a deep theological truth here, all right? Jesus shows up on this day, and then eight days later, the people were together again, and Jesus visits them. The theological truth is, say inside again. The theological truth here is this. You guys ready? You can come back next week and experience this again. And Jesus is going to show up every day again. Is that cool? It's biblical. It's right there. They're together again, and then Jesus shows up. Go figure. It's kind of a neat thing, I think. And so it goes on and says this. The disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's not his scolding. That's his compassion. He knew that Thomas needed a little extra to have faith. He knew that. That's his compassion. Touch me. I'm here. Feel me. I'm, feel that I'm present. And listen. We can't do this, but I believe that if you'll be open, Jesus will make himself known to you. That's his compassion, his heart, is to make himself known to you. And there are some people that have a hard time coming to faith, right? And there's others that it's quick for them to believe. And so I want you to know, momentum is a place where you can take time for Jesus to come and make himself known to you. That's, that's what this place is. A week later, they were together again, and Jesus made himself known. And it might be two weeks from then, and it might be three weeks for you. It might be a month for you. I had a woman that's been in this church for a year and a half come to the altar two weeks ago after church. She came up and she said, Pastor Ross, today I finally got it, and I've decided to give my life to Jesus. For a year and a half, every Sunday here, faithfuls can be serves, part of our church. We love her dearly. I tell people all the time, you can be here and be an atheist. You know that? You can. We will love you. You can serve here and be an atheist. We will love you. We will never stop trying to convert you. <laughs> because we love you. We won't be jerks about it. I'm just saying. And that woman, a year and a half, is her belief was bolstered, not because of us, but Jesus made himself known. Amen? And for you today, it may be, God, I don't know if I can trust you with my situation, my circumstance, my sickness, my children, my finances. He will make himself known to you. And you'll be able to trust him. But listen to the voice of Jesus. You'll never have a comeback if you let doubt overtake your heart. You'll never have a comeback if you let fear overtake your mind. You'll never have a comeback if you let perceptions rob you from hearing the voice of Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? The cross and the comeback. The cross and the comeback. At times in life, we all feel burdened. At times in life, we'll feel broken. 
But can I tell you as we leave today, God loves broken things. He does. God uses broken things. It takes broken ground to produce a crop, doesn't it? It takes a broken cloud to produce rain. It takes a broken seed to produce grain. It takes broken grain to produce bread. It takes broken bread to produce strength. And it sometimes takes a broken heart to produce life and life forevermore. And so maybe you're going through some stuff today. But I want you to know, just like we see in Jesus, just like we saw in the Passover, just like we saw with Adam, Jesus has always had a plan for a comeback for your life. John 20, last verse. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's all Jesus wants is for you to have life. This morning, if that's something you would like to do, is just to tighten that relationship with Jesus, just to know without a doubt that you have a connection with God through Jesus. We're just going to pray a prayer with you. Just say this, say, Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to know you. I know my sin separates me. So forgive me for my sins. I thank you that your sacrifice takes care of my sin. I thank you that in you I can have life and life abundant. Jesus, I'll pursue you with everything that I have. In your name I pray. Amen. Give God praise. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.